Roll the intro. Roll it. Uh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's a disaster. I'm so intrigued. Uh, just wait, it gets worse. We are just the masters of disasters, aren't we? Calamity Janes. Welcome back to Calamity Janes. I'm Madison. And I'm Bailey. And we and are we... two anything but plain Janes. Me, I'm doing this. Sorry, Madison. go ahead. Do it. We're two anything but plain Janes who talk <laughs> about disaster, mayhem, calamity, if we're just being upfront about it. Absolutely. And, and I'm still Bailey. <laughs> and you're still Bailey, and I am still Madison. Uh, we're sorry for not posting a, an episode last week. Uh, I had a sick toddler, and it was just impossible to do any research and writing. So I'm sorry about that, guys. We are sorry, best friends, but we knew you'd understand because you, like us, have lives outside of your passions. And as passionate as we are about this podcast, life happens. Exactly. I think in the future, we could meme, mostly, I would be happy to undertake this, probably post a 20-second clip being like, hi, sorry, sickness has struck the <laughs> Went household. The, and I am the disaster this week is that disaster has struck the household. Yes. Vomiting so, everywhere. I I could, I could potentially do something like that in the future because I do feel bad when I am unable to do an episode because of something like that. But that's what happened. Very sorry for the absence, uh, but that it was not fun. But we're back. We are back. We are back. I could also make that episode and be like, so sorry we're not here. <laughs> Madison is going through it. Going it, through it right now. Yes. Bonnie's first fever was not enjoyable for anyone. That was her first fever? It was her very first fever. We made it to almost a year and a half. Wow. Because yeah. she's been sick, but she's never had a fever. Mm-mm, never had a fever. Huh. Yeah. And it was not fun, my friends. It was not enjoyable. Can't uh, imagine. Luckily, Finley will never have a fever. <laughs> Ever. I don't have to worry about that. I'm, she's just never going to have one. Never going to have a fever. Never. Um... Yeah, so that is, uh, so apologies, but we're back with another episode, and uh, best friends, this episode I started several weeks ago, and for some reason has just been so challenging to write, so I've brought it here for you, and we are in the trenches together. We will help you write it together with our collective disaster brain. (laughs) Perfect. All right, here we go. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Our it's story be an ASMR disaster. So, so did you want to talk right now? Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. You can go now. Our story begins in 1985 in Goiânia, Brazil, when a private radiotherapy institute moved to a new building. The institute, designed to treat cancer patients with radiotherapy, left behind a lot of equipment. Notably, they left behind a cesium-137 teletherapy unit that was nearly 10 years old. Now, is it called a cesium because it has cesium in it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Indeed, it does. I just would assume, I guess, I don't know how um, radiology works, to be quite honest. So when you're talking to me about... And you still elements. by the time we finish this episode. Okay, great. (laughs) No one, it's not, we're not here to learn, people. No. You're, we're here to listen to horrible things. Okay. Oh, okay. So, 
What, did you think a radiation disaster was going to be fun? I don't know. I just thought you really gutted us the last episode, so I thought, surely she'll come up with an I survived situation. Well, Spoiler thanks. alert, apparently. Okay. Okay. Cesium-137 is highly radioactive. The teletherapy unit, which looked like a dentist chair with a large telescope attached to it, used a small capsule with about 93 grams, or 3.3 ounces, of cesium chloride in a canister made of lead and steel. Sounds like it's safe and secure in there, if you ask me. Relatively. Okay. The container was sort of a wheel type of structure. When the wheel turned inside the casing, the source would move between the storage and a radiation position. The okay. container was only two inches in diameter and one and one point eight inches long, so pretty small and unassuming. Okay. Okay. The institute moved locations in 1985 and left behind a lot of valuable equipment, including a teletherapy unit that still contained us. <laughs> I told you this was really hard for me to write. I think I started deja vu. Deja vu all over again. Oh, guys, it's been a rough couple of weeks, but we're coming out on top. Just we not are. right, not in this particular sense. And as a distraction, I have since Googled uh, what this machine looks like, and we'll put it right right here. Um, it's kind of wild. I was not aware of what radiation therapy entailed or how. I, I guess I knew that. Um, in modern day radiation, like they take multiple beams and they like triangulate a spot in within your body, managing to like miss every vital organ. And it's only at the convergence of the beams that presumably cancer, right? Is that or whatever you're treating gets targeted? Mm-hmm. Spoken this like looks, a true radiologist. This looks like one big one big beam. Yeah, though it it would appear so. Okay. Um. Okay, I think we should be out of the repetitive clear after that. Sorry. Vamping, vamping. Vamping, vamping. Okay. In May of 1987, one of the owners of the Institute was met with police force when he tried to return to the abandoned site to remove the radioactive material. He warned that someone would have to take responsibility for what would happen with the cesium bomb. Who is this person? He was an owner of the Institute. Okay. Yeah, so this is like a a building that is very quickly like in shambles after they move. It's completely okay. abandoned with lots of equipment, lots of dangerous equipment. And why was it abandoned or is that covered? They're just moving to a different facility and for some reason no one wanted to move into this building apparently. Well, if they're moving to a different facility, why didn't they want their equipment? That's a wonderful question. I don't know. It was already 10 years old at the time that this happened, so they might just be going for new equipment, but it was still someone's responsibility to make sure that nothing dangerous was left behind, which is what he was trying to do. So he was trying to get in, and he was like, there is extremely dangerous material there. I would like to collect it to prevent it from hurting anyone. And they were like, no, no, not going to happen. So after that, a guard was posted at the site to prevent anyone from accessing or stealing the dangerous materials. The owners of the Institute wrote to the National Nuclear Energy Commission, warning them of the the dangers of keeping the equipment at the abandoned site and explained that because the city had issued a court order that prevented the owners from entering the property, it would be up to a higher authority to remove the equipment. Who was paying for this guard? The city? Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know that you're going to have the answers to this, but, like, they decide to leave. The building uh, is abandoned. 
and that like, and so that's why the city it's now the city's responsibility because an individual I guess he's if this person's acting as an in an individual capacity mm-hmm. and not on behalf of like the company to come take it. it I'm just thinking like what business does the city ha- why would the city care that the, these are quite great questions. I I was left confused as well and I'll get to it a, barely at the end but essentially from what you are I, setting me up for disappointment <laughs> you should be disappointed this entire story is disappointing oh okay but i'm intrigued because i have a radioactive bomb he's telling me i have a radioactive bomb and you're yes. not letting me basically diffuse it so exactly. go on okay so guess what didn't happen uh no one came to collect it well, except for the guy tried. The guy yeah. tried to, and they were like, no, 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 a shoe. Exactly. So that equipment sat there for four months until the figurative cesium bomb exploded. Okay, so it really was a bomb. No, I said oh. figurative. Well, really was a figurative <laughs> cesium bomb. It was a figure. It was. Okay, maybe the next couple of sentences will help you. Yeah. You know what? I'm not even going to get mad at you for this because the writing on this is like some of the worst I've done. We're just doing the best we can. Okay. On September 13th of 1987, the guard posted to the site did not show up for work, leaving the site completely open to Roberto Dos Santos Alves and Wagner Moda Pereira. Okay. Roberto and Wagner partially disassembled the teletherapy unit and took the cesium source with them, thinking it had some scrap value. They had oh, no idea what it was. So these were not uh, radiology professionals? No. Okay. No, no. As soon as they got home, they did what everyone does when they find something new and shiny, and they dismantled it. They smash it against their fireplace mantle. I think they were a little more careful than that, but that's good to know that that's your preferred method of whatever. Go on. That evening, Roberto and Wagner started a chain of events that would rock their community to its core. Oh, I am intrigued. Roberto and Wagner both began vomiting, but continued in the disassembly process. That escalated quickly. The following day, Wagner experienced diarrhea and dizziness, and his left hand began to swell. A burn soon appeared on the swollen hand in the shape of the capsule. Yeah, 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 yeah. Checks out. It checks out with some, like, radiation poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. On the 15th, so about two days after this started, Wagner went to a local hospital for his symptoms, but was told he must have eaten something that didn't agree with him and was sent home. So sorry. Your body's disintegrating. You must have eaten some bad sushi. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, Roberto kept on poking the bear and disassembled the source. The next day, he punctured the capsule's aperture window with a screwdriver and discovered a small, mystifying blue light coming from the tiny opening. It's emitting light? It sure is. Mm, okay. Blue, shiny, sparkly, beautiful light. And he's, like, not doing hot. No, I don't think anyone is feeling good at this point. And so then he scoops some out of the, it's like a glowing salt-like substance. So he scoops some out and basically begins to play with it. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why he did this next part, but he thought it was gunpowder, so he tried to light it on fire. Oh, 
I mean, I guess I don't know what would happen. Um, I, well, I first thought you said he was happened. going to eat it <laughs> because when you think about like, you know, um, the, the radium girls era and how it was like, oh, well, this glow and potion's going to solve all of your, you know, ailments. Um, I kind of expected him to eat it like radium. But that's not what happened to the radium girls, right? Not the radium girls in that era, though. Oh, that, sure. The reason they were using radium yes. is because it was a yes. panacea. It was... The, you are so you know, right. The next big thing, including people who were like, oh, you put it in your eyes to make them brighter, ingest it to blah, 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 blah. Anywho, I thought he was going to be like, this was probably good to ingest. No, thankfully he didn't. Well, apparently it nothing happened to it when he tried to ignite it, which was a good thing. Um, so then on the 18th, he sold the items to a scrapyard and tried to move on with his life. That evening, uh, Devere Alves Ferreira, owner of the scrapyard, noticed the mystifying blue light and brought the capsule into his house. Over the next three days, he invited friends and family over to see it. No, 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 no. On September 21st, one of his friends managed to release a few rice-sized grains of the cesium from the capsule with a screwdriver and shared it with friends and family. Oh, no. Okay. Later that day, his wife fell ill. Four days later, on the 25th, he sold the scrap metal to another scrapyard. But just before that, his brother scraped a few more grains out of the capsule and took it back to his house, where he spread it on the concrete floor. Why? Yeah, I know. Well, it's because I'm definitely not trying to do any sort of victim blaming here at all, but clearly no one here knows about the dangers of radiation. And so it's just, it's people who don't know any better messing with a really dangerous substance and they, they don't think it's all that serious. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess if I were to see something glowing, I would run. Yeah. See, you say that, but you also have a house full of children's toys and you'd probably be like, oh, that must be meant to glow in the dark. You know, I'm like putting myself in their shoes like, okay. You don't know where this is coming from, and, like, yeah. you trust the people who are giving it to you, whatever you think it's cool. I, I could totally see how you're like, look at this really wild thing. Yeah. I, I think if I were the initial group of people who took it from a radiotherapy institute. Oh, bad news bears. Absolute yeah. bad news bears. But, but to if the it's people, people who have never yeah who don't know where it came from who have never been taught that things that glow a lot of the time are radioactive unless they're fireflies unless they're fireflies so it's a bunch of people who think they've stumbled upon something magical and Mm -hmm. mystical and they're excited by it and of course they want to share it with people yeah so it makes sense um okay so he spreads it out on his concrete floor and everyone is totally enamored with his beautiful blue powder kind of like greeny substance his six-year-old daughter later ate food while she was sitting on that floor and fascinated by the substance's blue beautiful glow she rubbed it on her skin and showed it off to her family Mm. one of the ferrera women began to notice how many people around her began to fall ill she was the first person to raise the alarm about this Good good on her Good. On September 28th, she retrieved the materials from the other scrapyard and marched down to the hospital. Because she had placed the materials in a plastic bag, there was very little contamination at the hospital, which was a really amazing thing to do. Yeah. 
uh, I wouldn't think that a plastic bag would be that uh, like, effective. Yeah, exactly. Wait, there wasn't a lot of, oh, contamination to the people at the hospital. I'm yes. thinking you're saying, like, the people at the hospital haven't contaminated these granules. And I'm like, like, it's no. a crime scene. But I'm like, <laughs> what are you? No. She she put it in there and brought it to the hospital. And thankfully, no one at the hospital received, like, a fatal. Yeah. So the next morning, a visiting medical physicist, which sounds like a really cool interesting job also it like the next i guess it's not he visited that day i don't know the way the the way you're telling the story it's like and it just so happened the next day a man walked in the door a visiting (laughs) physicist yeah you're exactly right so he confirmed the remains to be highly radioactive and urged authorities to take action and by the end of the day every level of government was aware of what had happened that again escalated quickly Mm-hmm. Once news of the incident spread, 130,000 people went to local hospitals fearing they had been exposed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Of those, 250 were found to be contaminated. <gasps> so it's like, wow, that got out fast. Of those, only 20 people showed signs of radiation sickness and required treatment. So they could tell that some people were exposed, but not to the point of, like, wasn't severe. Yeah, apparently you can receive a very low dose of radiation without... I mean, obviously we get x-rays. I think this was probably a, a step above x-rays or mm-hmm. something. But you uh, you can receive a dose of radiation without getting sick from it. Hmm. Makes sense. Still mm-hmm. very scary. Yes. Unfortunately, for those who were involved with the capsule from the beginning, the outcomes were very poor. A scrapyard, yeah, a scrapyard employee of Devere Ferreira developed lung damage, internal bleeding, and heart damage, and passed away on October twenty eighth of that year. Wow. Yeah, the little girl who painted herself with the glowing blue powder was initially confined to an isolated hospital room because the staff were too afraid to treat her. Oh no. I know. This is definitely the worst part. She experienced swelling, hair loss, kidney and lung damage, and Mm. internal bleeding, and she died on October 23rd. I totally forgot that, or it didn't, like, dawn on me that because, like, when you've had these exposures, you yourself become radioactive. I forgot about that. I think, was I watching, like, the, maybe it was the Chernobyl um, mm-hmm. like mini series on HBO, something about Chernobyl oh, and like brilliant series, right? And when all those people went to the hospital, you're like, everyone who's treating them is getting secondary exposure because their bodies are radioactive, and like the people who were at the plant had to be buried, you know, around that area because they were so their bodies were so radioactive. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So she died of septicemia and generalized infection and was buried in a special fiberglass and lead-lined casket. Mm -hmm. Despite those measures, more than 2,000 people protested her burial by rioting and placing stones and bricks in the roadway. Really? Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, they were unsuccessful, and six-year-old Leda Das Neves Ferreira was laid to rest. So they're saying, like, she shouldn't have been they were worried about exposure with oh, her I being see. buried in the i see um, okay. yeah gotcha i thought they were yeah. like she shouldn't have been buried in that way like no i think gotcha. they i think the people in charge knew that she was going to 
be safe. Everyone would be safe with her in that special kind of casket. Gotcha. But everyone else was still afraid that she would contaminate the area. Got it. Got the, it. Like the cemetery and areas around there. Mm-hmm. Um, Devere Ferreira's wife, Maria, passed on October 23rd after suffering from hair loss, internal bleeding, mental confusion, oh. diarrhea, and acute renal insufficiency. Mm. Lastly, another employee of DeVere Ferreira developed respiratory and lymphatic complications and died on October 27th. I found it really interesting that all of them were exposed, like they all died within like four days of each other. Right. Um, it was just really crazy. Well, but... and all within how, what length of time from exposure? When did this happen? Uh, they were all exposed, I think, beginning like the 18th through... The 28th-ish. And so they all... It was about just over a month for just about everyone. Wow. Wow, yeah. wow, uh, So despite DeVere Ferrer receiving a substantial dose of radiation, he did not die until 1994 um, when he succumbed to cirrhosis brought on by depression and binge drinking because everyone around him died from radiation poisoning interesting i can't believe that that's really hard to believe that he uh lived that long yes yeah absolutely the three physicians who owned the institute were charged with criminal negligence but due to somewhat complicated legal circumstances involving the promulgation of brazil's federal constitution which did not happen until after this um they could not be found liable one of the owners was ordered to pay $100,000 for the poor condition of the building. Okay. So I go back to the beginning. This guy yes. who did take the time to come back and say, listen, y'all, not good situation happening here. We need to fix this. Was he not one of the former owners? He was a scientist. He was not, not an owner. He was he, just like... It said he was an owner. So I believe that he was also uh, like held uh, responsible Okay, so then it's bizarre. I agree. I completely agree. And I tried to... The Wikipedia page that gave me 99% of this information uh, brought up the point about Brazil's constitution, and I clicked on the page and quickly realized that it was not going to give me an opportunity to perform any sort of legal analysis that would make me understand this. Uh, So I have the same questions that you do. Fascinating. Uh not satisfactory um is there any sort of what happened to keep somebody else from doing this okay well okay topsoil from several homes that came in contact with the cesium uh the topsoil was removed and several homes were demolished everything inside the houses was removed and examined for exposure uh contaminated painted surfaces were scraped and floors were treated with acid and prussian blue mixtures uh another like the last real bummer thing that happened was that they in hindsight were like we should have not thrown away so much of people's personal stuff that we took from their houses like we probably could have salvaged a lot more and we just threw it away Mm -hmm. it was like you just really kick them while they're down but uh, in February of 1988, the following year, the state government of Goya established the basically a foundation in the name of the six-year-old girl that passed mm-hmm. to study the extent of the population's contamination from a disaster and to render aid to those affected. Good. Yes. So there was an effort made 
afterwards to help those who were affected, even though it should have never happened in the first place and innocent people suffered because higher ups refused to do anything about it until people were already hurt. But thankfully, there was some assistance given. Especially because this all happened because literally one day, the guard who was standing there wasn't Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Bananas. Exactly. So that is the Goyonia incident. I guess it never would have occurred to me, when you think of nuclear disasters, everything that comes to mind is power plants, right? Because it's like a larger amount of fuel, um, total disaster when they melt down. We have seen this before. Never would have thought an abandoned radiology lab. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, guys. Well, Bailey had to step away to help a crying, sweet little baby boy. So thanks for listening with us this week. We had a lot of fun. We're excited to come back next week, and we hope you guys have a great Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. Is he okay? He might be teething. Hi, sweet boy. Say hi to everyone. Oh, look at that tear. Look at that tear. I did a super brief sign off in case you need to go. So I think we're just going to start start anew. That's okay. Yeah, got out. We're going to start fresh. Sweet boy. This is mommy's booth. Yeah. Bye, little man. <sighs> Goodbye, bye, best friends. Goodbye, best friends. We'll talk to you next week.